so we continue with the series on man, the creation of God. Um, and uh, we have so far obviously had a look at the fact that uh, God has created man with an outward man and an inward man. And the outward man is our physical bodies and we, uh, we won't be looking at that in any kind of detail. We had a look at the fact that the inward man is made up of four primary parts, which is the spirit of man, the soul, which is our mind, our conscience and our, and our will. And in this series, we're looking specifically at the will of man because we want to understand just um, what part the will of man plays in our makeup so that we can understand how to um, function as God has called us to function. Um, and so, yeah, we want to understand more about the will of man. We've had a look at various aspects of the will of man up until now. And one of the things that we looked at was the fact is that um, our wills can be influenced. Um, we have a free will given to us by God and uh, we wanted to reconcile the fact that the will of God always prevails in the affairs of mankind. Uh, God's, God works all things together according to the counsel of His will. The scripture we saw was in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. The scripture says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so ultimately God's will prevails because God is God. And so he, his will is uh, always going to come to pass in every aspect uh, of, of creation because he is the creator. Um, but at the same time, we understand that God has given to each of His creations. We've looked at angels, we've looked at uh, the creatures on the earth, but we've also now been obviously looking at mankind. Each of uh, God's creations has been given by God a free will, and man is no, no different. We, each one of us, have received a free will from God. So the question then arises is, if we have free wills, how is it that the will of God always reigns supreme? Um, because we've just seen that God works all things together according to the counsel of His will. And uh, we, we were able to reconcile that the two truths by showing that it, what God does in order to make sure that His will actually does prevail is that He influences the will of mankind in the earth. And we had a look at uh, a couple of examples um, along that line. And the one we looked at was in um, 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 18, when Micaiah, the prophet, uh, revealed to Ahab that uh, God had wanted Ahab to go up to Ramoth Gilead because he wanted him to fall there. And God had allowed Satan as the lion uh, spirit to influence Ahab's prophets, so that Ahab's prophets would prophesy to him to go up to Ramoth Gilead so that he could fall there. And God knew that Ahab liked to listen to his prophets, and so that is why God uh, knew that uh, Satan would prevail in that particular endeavor. Um, but nevertheless, we said that God did not leave himself without witness because Micaiah did warn Ahab not to go up, but nevertheless, Ahab uh, preferred to listen to his prophets rather than the prophet of the Lord. And the Lord knew that. And so the Lord knew what he needed to do to influence Ahab to, as an act of his free will to go where God wanted him to be. And so that is how God um, 
works all things together according to the counsel of his will, because he does influence the free will of mankind. Nevertheless, man still makes the choice of their own free will. Ahab made his own free choice. He went up and he subsequently was killed when he went there. Um, and then we saw that as believers, God influences our free will by his Holy Spirit residing within us because the Spirit of God in us witnesses with our spirits as to what it is that he wants us to do. And the scripture says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so we are, we're meant to consult our spirits um, as to what it is that God's will is for our lives. And when we do, then we're meant to subject ourselves to his will and be obedient. We used to be called, before we came into the kingdom of God, sons of disobedience, but now we are sons of obedience. I mean, basically, we obey our Lord when, we, when he shows us that which he wants us to do. And that's how his will is accomplished in our life today. But we still have a free will, and we've, uh, I've said time and time again, um, in this life, the free will of man reigns supreme. So even though God does reveal his perfect will to us and to the world, um, mankind chooses whether they're going to obey that or not. And that is how God um, operates in the affairs of mankind. Um, and we saw that uh, as an example Paul when he and his team they wanted to go preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit was leading them. He said, Don't go there, don't go there, you can go there. And that is how the Lord was guiding them so that his will would be accomplished through Paul's ministry. Then we also saw the fact that our spirits and our flesh influence our will. And uh, our spirit, we you know, this is not a teaching on um, the spirit of man today. Uh, but nevertheless, when we're born again, it's our spirits that are new creations in Christ Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away, behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God. And so when we're born again, it's our spirits that are born again, and our spirit now only wants to do that which is pleasing to God. Our spirit is completely sold out to God, and it will always follow after the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and want to go in that direction. Nevertheless, um, our flesh remains the same when we're born again. It doesn't change. The bodies that we were dwelling in before we were born again, we continue to dwell in those same bodies after we're saved. And these bodies are sinful in nature, for they have inherited their sin nature from Adam. <clears throat> the Bible teaches us that from one blood, God has made every nation under the sun um, on the earth. And so... The, the body of man, you can go look it up in the book of Romans, um, it teaches us very clearly that the body of man is sinful in its nature. It desires to commit sin. And the flesh of man is made up of two parts, really. The flesh of man is made up of these bodies that we dwell in, and also the carnal mind. Now, the carnal mind is the way that we've always thought since we were, we've been brought up in this life. Um, so I, I came into the kingdom of God at age 22. Prior to that, for the 22 years preceding coming into the kingdom of God, my thought processes had been developed along the line that the way that the world thinks. And that's how I was brought up to think, and that's how I functioned. Um, when I came into the kingdom of God, now I started to see something else. I started to see what God's word had to say about certain subjects. And so now what the, the Bible requires of me to do is to begin to renew my mind, 
to start thinking in line with the Word of God. And that's in Romans chapter 12. Uh, the scripture says, Be no longer conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we renew, we renew our minds. We don't get a brand new mind when we come into the kingdom. Our minds stay exactly the same. We still have the same thought processes that we had before we were saved as when we were after we were saved. However, as we grow in the things of God and as we spend more time in the Word of God, so we are to renew our minds to think as God thinks and begin to act as God then acts. And so that's the, the process. But nevertheless, the flesh in the believer is made up of the sinful body, which still has the sin virus uh, flowing through its veins, and it also is made up of the carnal mind, the, the, the mind that thinks like the world thinks. And so the flesh will always want to commit sin. The flesh is not subject to the laws of God, can't be subject to the laws of God, doesn't want to be subjected to the laws of God. So the flesh will always want to go in one direction, but nevertheless the born-again spirit will want to go in another direction. And so as an act of our will, we decide which direction we're going to go. But nevertheless, the, the flesh can exert influence on my will to do that which is incorrect. And my spirit can influence, uh, exert influence on my will to do things which is pleasing to God. And we said that when we come into the kingdom, we're born again as babes in Christ and we have to grow spiritually. And so as our spirits grow stronger, um, they are able to exert a greater influence over our wills. Not over our wills, but an influence on our wills is a better way of putting it. And so because my spirit is now stronger and it can exert a greater influence on my will, I find it easier as I grow in the things of God to do things that are pleasing to God and to put under the flesh. Whereas baby Christians have it the other way around. Their flesh is still very strong and still dominates them uh, by and large. Their spirits are still weak and still baby uh, um, spirits and cannot really um, you know, influence them to that uh, greater degree, which is why baby Christians you know, still behave carnally because they still have to become spiritual. Anyway, so it's uh, our um, flesh that can influence our wills and our spirits can also influence our worlds. And today we want to just uh, touch on the, this, the topic of the fact that there is another person that influences and can influence our worlds, and that is Satan. Satan is the god of this world. And so as the god of this world, he is able to uh, exert influence over the worlds of men. Now we're going to look primarily today at how Satan is able to influence the, the will of those who are in the world. We're not dealing with uh, Christians today. On today's topic we want to deal with just to get an understanding as to how um, things actually do operate out there. Because you know, we live in a world that is not exactly... Um, uh, peaceful and, and, and loving. This world is actually called wicked and it's just becoming more and more wicked as days go by. It's not getting any better. Um, you, you can go back and you can just look over past generations as to the way that our parents grew up and their parents grew up and what our children are subjected to, our grandchildren are subjected to today. Um, vastly different in, in uh, the degree of wickedness that is actually prevalent in society today. And so we need to understand why is that happening because and why does that happen? 
Well, it's very clear because it is, there is a person who is called the God of this world and his name is Satan. And um, the scripture is in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where he actually is referred to as the God of this world. And as the God of this world, he has influence over this world. Um, you recall, let's just have a look at the scripture just to highlight this truth to us. And we'll look at another couple of scriptures along this line as well. In Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the background here is our Lord has been tempted by the devil. Remember, he, uh, he was baptized in water under John's ministry, and then he was baptized in the Holy Spirit when he came out of the water, and the Holy Spirit immediately led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he goes into the wilderness for a period of 40 days and 40 nights, and he doesn't eat anything over that period of time. At the end of that uh, period of time, he's actually weak, obviously, physically. He has not eaten for 40 days, and Satan now comes to tempt him. And we know the three temptations that our Lord is subjected to in that uh, period. But the one I wanted to concentrate on is in this passage. And the scripture says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And so he has a, a, a real genuine temptation that is placed before the Lord. Um, Jesus does not dispute this temptation with Satan. Um, in that he says, Satan, you in fact, you're lying. You have no um, ability to give me this authority. It was a genuine temptation. Otherwise, you know, otherwise God and the devil and our Lord Jesus would be party to, to a lie because you know we are told this is a temptation and if it wasn't a temptation well then somebody was lying. Nobody was lying. This was a genuine temptation because Satan is the genuine God of this world. When Adam uh, committed high treason and uh, rebelled against God and chose to follow after Satan in the Garden of Eden, he in effect bowed his knee to Satan and he delivered to Satan this world because Adam was in fact the God of this world. God had given um, Adam and Eve dominion over all of the earth. They were to exercise dominion over the earth. When they rebelled against God and submitted themselves to Satan, they changed allegiance and God was no longer their God. Satan now had become their God. And so Adam delivered to Satan the world and Satan de facto became the God of this world. Now as the God of this world he has authority over the world. He has full authority in the earth. Now it's, it's limited. God um, um, places constraints upon Satan as to what he can and cannot do. He, he doesn't have uh, carte blanche in the earth but nevertheless he is still God of the, of the earth. He has full authority. Uh, he said to our Lord, all this authority I will give you, talking about all the kingdoms of the world, um, because he says it's been delivered to me. How was it delivered to him? Adam delivered it to Satan, and that's when he became the God of this world. And so Satan, as the God of this world, is able to influence everybody on the planet to a greater or lesser degree. 
But every single, and I'm talking purely unbelievers now, I'm not talking about believers, because believers are a different category entirely. But with regards to all unbelievers, no matter what race, color, or creed, um, every one of them are under the rule of Satan as the god of this world. As I said, to a greater or lesser degree, depending on the individual and how much they are prepared to yield to Satan and uh, his influence in their lives. And another scripture we can have a look at, which just highlights this truth again to us, is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. The scripture says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. This, this world is, uh, is a world of darkness, the Bible talks about the fact. When we get born again, the scripture says that God translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so we get taken out of Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and we get placed into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light. But nevertheless, all who are unbelievers remain in Satan's kingdom, in his realm, in the kingdom of darkness where he holds sway over um, the hearts and the minds of men. They fall under his control. As I said, to a greater or lesser degree, depending on the individual, uh, by and large, depending on the individual. Um, and so it kind of explains why it is that certain individuals can be more wicked than others, because certain individuals give themselves over more freely to the will of Satan. When he exerts influence on their wills, they are quite willing to yield to him and follow after him, and so they become more and more wicked. Some others kind of resist his uh, influence, and they can, because don't forget we have spoken about the fact that uh, part of man's inward makeup is the conscience of man, and the conscience of man is given to every single person on the planet by God to tell them this is right, that is wrong. Do this, don't do that. Now, you get a lot of people in the world, unbelievers, who are actually very good people because they tend to listen to their conscience and their conscience will always tell them to do the right thing. Now, they're not going to go to heaven because they've always listened to their conscience. That's not how it works. But nevertheless, they, they live pretty good lives because they are obedient to their conscience and they don't they choose not to disobey their conscience. Whereas others, you know, kind of ignore their conscience and thus become more and more wicked. And so that is really how unbelievers kind of, some of them are, are more under the sway of Satan than others are under his sway. Now, just to give you a, a bit of a graphic account of just how Satan, in fact, does influence the will of people in the earth to do stuff in the earth, because a lot of the, the, the wickedness in the earth, in fact, all of the wickedness in the earth, by and large, is initiated through Satan and his realm. Because um, his realm are known as wicked spirits. Uh, uh, the Bible talks about um, wicked spirits in the heavenlies. And so, yeah, it, it, it's a given. Satan's realm are, is a wicked realm. And so, Wicked spirits influencing the will of men will cause them to do things that are wicked. And so here's a, a scripture we can look at, which is in Job chapter 1, verse 12 through to verse 15. And I'll read and then we can comment on it. Scripture says, then the Lord, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, talking about Job, 
is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a, a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So again, we have a very graphic account um, of what takes place in the spirit realm that influences this natural realm that we live in. And we, we looked at the, uh, the other account in a previous teaching about when God influenced Ahab, and we discussed it now earlier as well. But here's a, a graphic account. Now, there's quite a lot of, uh, of, of truths that are revealed to us here. Remember I said to you that even though Satan is the god of this world, God still places constraints upon him in that he is only allowed to do certain things. He's not allowed to, he doesn't have carte blanche in the earth. If he did, he would just destroy the earth because that is his ultimate aim. Um, and so in this case here, God says to Satan, all right, he's in your hand, talking about Job, you can do this to him, but you cannot do that. And so, you know, God had placed constraints on Satan as to what Satan was allowed to do to Job. So what happens? We see the account of the Sabaeans coming through and killing Job's servants. Now, who initiated that? It was Satan. Satan and his angels, whoever, whichever demons he obviously used in this instance, went to those Sabaeans and influenced their wills and um, got them to think, okay, that's not a bad idea. Let's go and take Job's uh, animals and we'll just kill his servants in the process. And so mankind did what Satan influenced. And so Satan exercised his uh, lordship over those Sabaeans. Now, those Sabaeans were obviously wicked men to start off with, but nevertheless, the suggestion that came from Satan to go and do this act. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it because you know, we've seen the behind the scenes initiation of the act. God says, you can go do this, you can't do that. Um, God didn't specify to Satan, um, go kill Job's servants. Job, uh, Satan came up with that plan himself. But it fell with, within the parameters of what God had allowed Satan to do in that instance. And so Satan and his angels were the ones that went and influenced the Sabaeans to go and kill Job's servants and to take his um, livestock. And so that is how Satan, in fact, does influence the world today. Um, now, when Satan is removed from the earth, things are going to change quite dramatically. Our Lord will return to the earth to reign on the earth for his millennial reign, the 1,000 years. The book of Revelation teaches us that for that 1,000 year period, Satan and his angels will be removed from the earth and they will be locked up in the bottomless pit for that period of time. And so we can have a look at what scripture says the earth will be like when Satan and his angels are in fact removed from the earth. And it's quite interesting to look at it. It's in Isaiah Chapter 14, beginning at verse 5, the scripture says, The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the ruler. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest 
and quiet. They break forth into singing. Now, when our Lord returns to the earth, he will return with all of these saints to reign over the earth for that millennial period. And the, the people that we will reign over are the, all the unbelievers that will be residing on the earth when our Lord returns. Because there will be a whole lot of unbelievers still living on the earth after the wrath of God has been poured out on the earth. And those are the individuals that the church will reign over when they return to the earth with our Lord Jesus. And so there will be a whole lot of unbelievers on the earth. But what has happened here is, uh, I've already mentioned in the book of our Revelation, the Bible teaches us that Satan and his angels will be removed and they're cast into the bottomless pit. And so in this passage of scripture, the individual that he's talking about is in fact Satan. He, when he says um, this person struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger and persecuted no one hinders. He's talking about Satan. And so when Satan is removed from the environment, look what happens. Verse 7, the whole earth is at rest and quiet. And they break forth into sin. And remember the scripture says that when our Lord returns, they'll beat their, their swords into plowshares and their um, spears into pruning hooks. And there, no one will uh, teach anyone to make war anymore. There will be no conflicts anymore. Now, why is that? The reason being is because this person has been withdrawn from the earth. Now, obviously, because the, the peace of God will reign in the earth as well, because our Lord Jesus will be reigning on the earth. But there will be nothing there to um, hinder the peace of God from reigning on the earth. Satan and his angels will no longer be able to exert influence over the wills of men on the earth, even though all of those people will be unbelievers from, a, from the point of view of unsaved. And they will still be all spiritually dead. But nevertheless, because the influence of Satan has been withdrawn from the earth during that time, wickedness is removed from the earth at the same time. Uh, because Satan's not there with his angels to influence the wills of men any longer. And that is um, also just a, a very clear account to us um, about how it is that this world is really so wicked and becoming more wicked as the days go by. It's because the God of this world um, is being allowed to influence the will of man more and more in the earth. And so mankind is becoming more and more wicked. I remember our Lord said, uh, because lawlessness will abound, speaking about the, the, the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And uh, I don't want to get into teaching on the last days, but nevertheless, our Lord did say that lawlessness will abound. It's going to just get worse. And that is because the God of this world, he, he knows his time is short. And so, you know, he's really going to uh, step up his influence as much as he can. Um, now, ultimately, when, when Satan influences the will of mankind in the earth, his ultimate aim is to actually possess the individual. That's, that's God, uh, Satan's ultimate aim, is to possess the individual. He wants to take full possession of the person. Now, that, that kind of just highlights the difference between God and Satan in this area specifically. Because remember I said that in this life, God will never override the free will of man. He'll influence it, but he'll never override it. And so he'll never force anybody to do anything. He knows what motivates us. And so he works on our motivation to get us to do certain things. 
that he wants us to do or not to do them. Satan, on the other hand, goes to the extreme because his desire is to fully possess someone. Now, when Satan and his angels, his demons, fully possess someone, that person becomes demon-possessed. Now, one who is, is demon-possessed no longer can exercise any free will. They have no uh, uh, control over their free will anymore. Their free will is completely under the uh, control of the demon that has taken full possession of the individual. And we all know the case of, of the, the demon-possessed man in Gadara, but let's just read the account again because it just highlights that truth to us. And we read the account in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. Scripture says, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who, who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And so this is the account of what transpired after that individual had been um, freed from demon possession. For our Lord had then cast out uh, the, the legion, that the demon his, whose name was Legion, plus all the demons that were there. And don't forget, all of those demons together destroyed a herd of swine of 2,000. So there were at least 2,000 demons living inside that one individual. Um, and that one individual no longer had any control over his will. That demon was in complete control of him and made him do you know, a whole lot of stuff that uh, you know, he, he just... He, 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 he was unable to do anything about it because he was just completely uh, possessed by that particular demon. And so that is what Satan's ultimate aim is to do, is he would love to be able to just completely possess people because once he's got that right, he's got, you know, they, they're completely subjected to his will and they will then obviously become uh, whatever that demon is that has uh, taken control of them. Now, Satan doesn't obviously get to possess everybody on the planet, otherwise we'd have a whole lot of you know, men of Gadara running around, but that's not the case. He's only able to accomplish that in a few individuals' lives. Nevertheless, he does, um, he's able to accomplish partial possession of individuals on a wider scale. He's able to influence more because people don't completely uh, give themselves over to Satan. And also don't forget, the, the grace of God is involved and the compassion of the Lord is involved. Because it was the Lord's compassion that actually delivered that man in Gadara. He hadn't asked God to deliver him. Um, no one had petitioned the Lord on his behalf. The Lord had gone there of his own uh, volition. And as an, a result of his compassion he had on the individual, he had um, set that person free from the demonic possession. And so it is the compassion and the grace of God that prevents Satan from fully possessing every man on the earth because you know, that would, that's all Satan's ultimate aim is if he could do that, he would really be uh, as happy as could be, I suppose. Um, but God obviously places constraints on him. He can only do certain things. But nevertheless, um, Satan is able to uh, gain a foothold in a lot more people 
than having them fully possessed, but he can, a lot more, a lot more people display partial possession by demonic spirits. And when I say partial possession, I'm talking about uh, individuals who have given themselves over to thinking a certain uh, line of thought and become obsessed in that area. And all addictions fall into that category, whether it be a food addiction, a drinking addiction, a substance abuse addiction, a pornography addiction, any kind of addiction that you can think of is always demon um, initiated. And what has happened then is the demon has been able to get a stronghold upon that person's thought process. And because that demon has a stronghold there, that person is going to be inclined to do that. Now, the rest of their lives is normal. They can continue doing other stuff normally, but they are always going to be yielded to this particular addiction because that's where the partial possession has taken place in that Satan and his demons have now got a stronghold on that person's mind, for it always takes place in the mind. That's where Satan uh, gains control over the will of man. It's through the mind of man, through his thought processes. And just to highlight to us the truth about the fact that there are many out there who are partially possessed. They're not fully possessed like the man of Gadara, but Satan and his demons do hold sway in those individuals to a larger degree than other normal people would be. And the scripture is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. The scripture says, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And so here when these individuals are demon-possessed, they're not all coming like the man of Gadara, uh, completely naked and they have been howling and cutting themselves with stones and living in the tombs. Not at all. These are seemingly normal people who have got addiction problems and you know i've got problems in life they've got anger problems they because even anger is is and you get people that they lose their temper at the drop of a hat now that's a demon that's influencing them it has a stronghold on the emotions in that area and so these people are coming to the lord um because they're tormented in these areas and they want they want freedom they, they recognize that the lifestyle they're leading is not right they don't want to do that but they they're just compelled by they don't know it they don't know that there's a demon that's driving it but they just feel compelled to do these certain practices and so they came to our lord just like the sick did to be um to be um to get relief to to be delivered and the scripture says and many who were demon possessed uh he cast out the spirits with the word so there, there were many who were demon possessed now Believe you me, there were many in my Lord's day, when he was on the earth, there were many today as well. In fact, there's probably even more. Um, and so, yes, the, you know, where, where Satan holds sway on an individual's life, especially in the, in the, in the area of addiction, um, you can be rest assured that there's a demon that has gotten hold of that person's life in whatever way and has now begun to exert influence over the will of that person. And they are almost powerless in this area to fight against that particular addiction. That addiction is stronger than their will. Remember we said it earlier that the will of man is not strong enough to overcome the sin of the flesh. Uh, for if it was strong enough, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to deliver us because we could have done it ourselves. 
but the will of man, although it is a, a strong um, factor, it is not strong enough to overcome sin. Sin is stronger than the will of man. And so sin will always prevail over mankind. That's the way, because sin is stronger. Our Lord said, he who commits sin becomes a slave of sin. And once you're a slave of something, you, that thing is your master. You're its slave. Sin being the master in this case that our Lord was talking about. So how does Satan do that? Well, how does he get control over an individual's life? Well, he does it through the thought process. Um, the demons are out there. They're all over the place. You know, there's a lot of demons out there. Um, and so what a demon does is it, it will place the thought into the mind. I'm talking, again, we're dealing with unbelievers primarily today. We're not dealing with believers. We'll touch on believers in the next uh, teaching. But this one we want to concentrate on the world, just so we can understand what's going on in the world. And so what happens is that a demon will place a thought into the mind of an individual. Now, if that person entertains that thought, whatever it might be, and it's obviously not a good thought, um, you know, the demon's going to start him down the line. Think about uh, Satan then influencing those Sabaeans to go kill Job's servants. Now, Satan didn't appear to them and say, Thou sh you shall go kill uh, Job's servants. Not at all. A demon came and placed the thought into their minds, you know, that's a soft target over there. Why don't you go kill those servants and you can get all of that uh, livestock for yourself? And they looked, and they, oh, not a bad idea. And so what happens is that the individual hears this, or well, doesn't hear the but thinks the thought. Now, they don't realize where the thought is actually coming from. They think they thought it themselves. I mean, in actual fact, it has come from an outside source. It has been planted in there by uh, the demon. And so they entertain that thought. Now, as they entertain that thought, um, the demon then feeds it. And the demon then places more and more thoughts along that line. And if the person then continues to think along that line, what eventually happens is that the person then becomes obsessed in their thinking along that line, whatever line it might be. As they do, they eventually... Over, as an act of their free will, begin to do that which they become obsessed about. And as they do that, so they become more and more enslaved, and the, the stronghold becomes stronger in their thought process. And they find themselves getting to the place where they can no longer resist that. Um, whereas before, you know, I could get into it and then stay away from it. Now I can't, I can't get away from it anymore. Now I've become completely obsessed there and eventually I, the person becomes possessed in that area. Not completely, as I said, in the rest of their lives, they behave normally, they, you know, they conduct family lives, things like that, but they've got this area in their lives that they're completely sold out uh, because that demon has gotten a stronghold in their life and in their, in their thought process primarily. Um, and so that is how Satan is able to influence the wills of uh, unbelievers in the earth. Now, when it gets to demon possession stage, where the person becomes fully demon possessed, um, what happens is that, is that the demon gets a hold of the spirit of the man. And the demon is able to enter into the spirit of the man. When that happens, well, then the, the man is completely possessed. And you get an incident like the man of Gadara, where they no longer have um, any capacity to resist uh, 
uh, that demonic urge of whatever the demon wants them to do. Um, and so I want to just look at one more account um, in Scripture of uh, how it is that Satan is able to influence individuals. Now we're going to look at David. Now David obviously was a, a believer, um, but he wasn't a born-again believer because he was still spiritually dead. And so you know, he didn't have um, the same tools available to Christians that, which we have, which he didn't have. And so, you know, when we compare ourselves to Old Testament saints, we must always remember they were never born again. And so they never had the Holy Spirit re residing on the inside of their spirits. Uh, they couldn't grow strong spiritually because they were spiritually dead. And so we have a lot more going for us than what they did. Nevertheless, David was, uh, you know, a man after God's own heart. Our Lord said so. But um, he gets influenced by Satan. And let's have a look at the account in Scripture that just shows us that even a man who, God says, is a man after his own heart, can also be influenced by Satan. Now, don't forget about Bathsheba. There was, a, a, again, another account. And um, Satan influenced David to go up there and look on... on anyway, well, I don't want to go into that one. Let's look at this one because this account gives us the spiritual account of what transpired behind the scenes. And the scripture is in 1 Chronicles, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Scripture says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Job, uh, Joab, uh, and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Verse 3, and Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord the King, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Verse 4, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Now, in, in a, 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 the, the same account in 2 Samuel 24, we see another aspect of this. And what had actually happened here is that Israel had angered the Lord. I'm talking about the nation now. They had angered the Lord, and the Lord wanted to deal with them. And so God is the one who initiated, who said to Satan, I want you to get that influence David in this area, because God ultimately wanted to judge Israel. And if you read the account, what happened is, is that David repents, he realizes that he shouldn't have done what he did, and God says, that, you know, through his prophet, he said, I'm giving you the choice of three. You can either have three days of pestilence, or you can have um, three months of your enemies pursuing you, or you can have three years of famine. Those are the, his three choices that he was given because of the sin that he had committed. And all of those choices with judgment on Israel, because three days of pestilence, David chose that one, the three days, by the way, and there were, I think, 70,000 Jews that were killed in that period of time when the pestilence fell. Um, and the other one was uh, three months of being pursued by the enemies, mean, meaning that Israel would have been invaded by foreign armies, and the other one was three years of, of famine. So in all three of those judgments pronounced, the judgment were not pronounced against David, 
the judgment was pronounced against the nation of Israel. Because, as I say, if you go back and look at the account further in 2 Samuel 24, we see that it was actually God who wanted to judge Israel. So what he does, what God does, is he gets hold of Satan, and he says to Satan, you can now influence my servant David to do this. Satan's only too pleased to oblige, because Satan obviously wants to get people to commit sin. That's what his, his aim is. And so it's, it's pretty much similar to what happened with Job as well, because God said to Satan, all right, you can do this, you can't do that. And so God allowed Satan to go and initiate and influence David, because remember that the scripture says, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. And so Satan influenced David to sin against God, because it was not God's will that David should number Israel. There, is, there was a scriptural way of doing it. They could have done the census uh, as per Moses' instruction, and there would have been um, an offering that would have been given to the temple, and that was good and right. But David didn't do it that way. David just wanted to know the number of the people. Now look at what actually happens. Satan influences David. So David is going along thinking all the merry thoughts that he was thinking at the time, and now this thought comes into his mind. I think you should number the children of Israel. And he begins to think along that line. It's not a bad idea. Maybe I should number the children of Israel. And he starts to become a little bit obsessed with that way of thinking. Now, when a person starts to become obsessed with the wrong way of thinking, even sound reasoning that comes to that person and says, you know, what you're actually doing and what you're contemplating on doing is not right. You shouldn't do this. Um, they have be, they, they, there's a blockage that kicks in. There's, that stronghold has developed, and sound reasoning no longer influences their thinking because their thinking has become completely um, obsessed in this particular direction. And look at uh, the, the scripture says that nevertheless the, uh, the king's word prevailed against Job. So Job, he's the, the head of his army, who had he who he instructed to go number Israel, knew that this was a bad idea. He's, he said, um, why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? So he knew that this was going to be sinned against God. And he's trying to persuade David that we actually shouldn't be doing this. This is not a good, good idea. But nevertheless, the scripture says, uh, the king's word prevailed against Job. Because David had become obsessed in this. Because God had allowed Satan to influence David's thinking in this line. And because Satan and that demon had been pushing that thought into his mind, he was completely sold out on it. And he, he couldn't prevent this anymore. This is what he was going to do. That's it. It's going to happen. Um, now, as I say, when Job goes out and he numbers Israel, and he comes back, David then, the penny drops, and he realizes he has sinned against God. He repents. But nevertheless, the damage is done. But again, there you go. Now you've seen all of it, how it transpires. God initiates. Why? Because God wanted to judge Israel. Israel had done something that had angered the Lord. Now, there was a lot of stuff that Israel were doing to anger the Lord, believe you me. Um, scripture is silent on the fact as to what Israel, in effect, had done. But they had angered the Lord. And so the Lord now wants to judge them. So what does he do? He gets hold of Satan, who is the God of this world, and he says, I can, I'm allowing you to influence my servant David um, to do this. Go number my children Israel. God knows that that's going to be a sinful act. Um, and so he allows Satan to influence David's thinking. David's free will is still prevalent. David could have chosen to say no, but he chose to yield. 
But the, the point that I want to get across here from Satan's influence point is that Satan would have flooded David with that thought. It wouldn't have just been he woke up and over breakfast came up with the idea and then, you know, that's it. We're going to do that. Because there was a lot of opposition to his, his, his wanting to do this. It wasn't only Job. It was also the leaders of Israel. They were opposing David on this issue. And so, you know, he has all of his advisors telling him this is a bad idea. You shouldn't be doing this. But he has become so fixated of this in this thought process. They don't forget we're dealing with talking about a man who God said, this is a man after my own heart. And so David loved the Lord. David really has a, a reputation for loving God. But he's, he's, he's got caught up in this thing. Why? Because Satan is still the God of this world. And so when Satan, when the door is opened to Satan, God allows this to happen. Um, Satan goes in there, boots and all. He really wants to get stuck in. And so I can, can guarantee you that that demon was working overtime in uh, getting David to think along this line to the point where all sound reasoning was rejected by David. He just wouldn't hear it. He wanted his will, because his will don't get. God knew he had to get David to do it. And so he knew what would motivate David. And so that's how it all works. But Satan is the one who really got hold of David's thought processes there. And he was able to get David to sin against God. Um, and thus God was able to work all things together according to the counsel of his will. Remember, we said that ultimately that's what happens. God works all things together, even using Satan, even using David. Because God wanted to judge Israel. So he does it by using Satan and by using David to judge Israel. Um, he doesn't go straight and start judging Israel. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. But we wanted to highlight today um, how it is that uh, the God of this world, Satan, influences the wills of men in the world. And in the next teaching we're going to have a look at um, our believers, how their wills are influenced in this life. But we're going to end the teaching on that particular point today.